Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Chronic pain. It affects millions of people in the United States, thousands here in the islands. Pain in the back, in the neck, and other areas of the body. It's so common. Some statistics show that one in four adults will have this at some point in their lifetime and need to see their doctor. But what can be done about it? How do you know when it's bad enough to see your doctor versus just a nagging pain that might eventually go away? And if you don't want to take a lot of medicine for it, is there anything else that can be done? There has to be more than just taking a lot of pills. Well, we're going to talk more about that today in the studio. We have Dr. Gerald Garcia and Dr. Damian Tavares to tell us more. We'll be taking your calls in just a few minutes at 941-3689 on Oahu. Toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. First in medical news, could our brains be the first detector of the amyloid plaques that are associated with Alzheimer's dementia and be telling us? Researchers at the Alzheimer's Association International Conference 2013 noted that in several studies, they've linked self-reported memory decline with a higher number of plaques seen in the brain. And based on data from the Nurses' Health Study, those who self-reported memory concerns were more likely to develop cognitive impairment in the future. Causes for concern? Well, it's not really like walking into a room, forgetting while you're there, not remembering why what you were going to pick up, because, God, we all do that, but not remembering familiar places or people, not being able to follow the plot of a book or a TV show. And interestingly enough, it's not friends or family who help. Rather, the self-identification is the carlet with the increase in the amyloid plaque that's already there in the brain. When you say you're forgetting things, you bring it up to your doctor, your brain might be telling you you have some plaques developing, and this can lead to cognitive impairment and eventually can lead to Alzheimer's. Sounds like science fiction. Well, be careful. Your brain is listening. Last week, we talked about hepatitis. In the Journal of Hepatology, a new article reported a significant increased rate of hepatocellular cancer in those with hepatitis C if they get infected with hepatitis B. Now, the CDC recommended anyone born between 1945 and 1965 get checked for hepatitis C. 80% of the cases that they're seeing are from people in this age group. If you're positive for hepatitis C, talk to your doctor about being vaccinated for hepatitis B, and you might as well do A, it's in the same shot, because this will help you to prevent having liver problems in the future and may reduce your risk for hepatitis C-associated hepatocellular carcinoma. You can also avoid alcohol and any other medications or treatment that affect the liver. Step one, find out if you've been exposed. Talk to your doctor and get tested. The CDC has guidelines on who should do this and why they should, and there are some things we can do to help. Speaking of cancer, one quarter of all cancer deaths are from lung cancer, yet there still is no effective screening tool for this potential deadly disease. However, you know, the use of CT scans was seen to be effective in those with a significant smoking history. 
That's one pack a day for 30 years, two packs a day for 15 years. And the National Lung Cancer Screening Trial found a 20% reduction in cancer deaths for those who were screened and had been tested and were diagnosed early. However, there were large numbers of people who had treatment for findings on their scan that weren't cancerous at all. So who should be screened? Well, this group has been further defined, and the latest issue of the New England Journal of Medicine, some researchers reported that screening high-risk individuals would be the most effective way to identify and treat this cancer early. Risk models are being created, and although this is not yet being fully implemented, there are plans to establish generally accepted guidelines to help doctors to screen those at highest risk and thus help to prevent late-stage lung cancer diagnosis. Enough cancer talk for now. Okay. We're talking about pain. We're talking about chronic pain. And if you have a problem that results in taking medication that is considered a pain medicine on a regular basis, we'd like to hear from you. We have some experts in the studio, Dr. Gerald Garcia, Dr. Damian Tavares, and we're going to talk about chronic pain and how this can be more effectively treated. You can join our conversation at 941-3689 on Oahu. Toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Dr. Gerald, Dr. Damien, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening. All right. Let's talk about, we're talking about chronic pain. And, you know, when I was on air earlier this morning on the conversation, uh, one, of the, one of the hosts said, how do you define chronic pain? At what point does it become chronic as opposed to, hey, I have this problem every once in a while? Dr. Damien? Sure. Um, there are uh, multiple different uh, opinions of when exactly chronic pain occurs. I think the consensus is uh, pain that exceeds uh, three months or pain that exceeds the natural history of the condition. Um, for instance, low back pain really shouldn't last more than a couple weeks to a few months. Usually gets better. With chronic pain, it doesn't. It tends to stay on long after it's expected. Um, the other um, caveat to that is patients with chronic cancer pain. Um, uh, those patients tend to um, have an active inflammatory condition. So it usually correlates with the natural history of things. Um, so you can look at chronic pain in terms of chronic non-cancer pain and chronic cancer pain. So if we're talking about chronic Let's say non-cancer pain. Mm -hmm. Okay. We're talking about back pain, for example. If it's a nagging pain when you twist a certain way versus if it's a pain that affects your daily functioning, you limit your life because you're avoiding pain. You can't do X, Y, or Z. I can't exercise. I can't get in my car easily. I can't walk up and down the stairs because my back hurts me so much. Is there a difference when it starts to actually affect your daily activities of life? Does that mean that it's we've now moved in the chronic category? Well, technically, if you if 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 you have pain more than three months, it's considered chronic pain. There's varying degrees of chronic pain. I mean, you have mild, moderate, severe. Once it starts affecting your daily functions, you're at that moderate level. So, if you are changing your life to accommodate for this pain, you're moderate. You're not mild anymore. There's Absolutely. things we can do. Okay. Now, are certain types of pain more do they are there certain pains that occur in the body more likely to become chronic than others? Sure, absolutely. So um, osteoarthritis, for instance, osteoarthritis of the back, of the hip, of the knees. 
they tend to um, tend to be more chronic. They usually don't get better or um, so that would be a chronic pain, arthritis pain. types of pains. Okay. Also, like a neuropathy, like polyneuropathy. We hear of, you know, our, you know, uh, older patients with diabetes that, ha- and, and like a be- nerve pain that nerve they're having pain. now. Exactly. So we're not talking bone, we're not talking muscle. It's really the nerve giving them this chronic pain. So, so the muscles can cause pain. Back injuries or or disc displacement and disc injuries can cause pain. Nerves themselves can cause pain. Exactly, that can become chronic. I mean, there are people. There are a lot of patients that have a nerve injury, say from trauma or even from surgery, and majority of them get better on their own, and they don't ever transition to that chronic stage where it's beyond the three month period. So now, Doctor Gerald, in these sorts of situations, when we have people who have the definition of chronic pain. In some cases, people get pain medicine from their doctors. You know, I'm an internist. I have lots of people who come in and say, hey, I've had this pain for a while. I just, I take medicine now and then. And then you have folks who say, I need to take a pain pill every day. And then their requirement might increase to now I need to take two pain pills every day. And then it might go on from there. Giving people medication is one thing that we do for pain, but there's some other sorts of treatments. And there's a difference between prescribing medicine and being an interventional pain management doctor, and even just being a pain management doctor. Tell me a little bit about what those differences are. It has a lot to do with training, but it also has a lot to do with experience. What is the difference between how you manage pain and how I might manage pain as an internist? Uh, That's a really good question. Um, So pain medications are are a good way. They have a role. They do have a role. Provided that, in my opinion, there should be some sort of an exit strategy. There should be an end point. Because if you think about it, chronic pain is chronic by its nature. And so it could be there for a very long time. And as you have alluded to, um, taking these pain medications can make you tolerant to it, where as for now, you only take one medication or one or a five milligram uh, tablet of uh, a specific type of pain medication next in the next couple of months, you'll need two tablets, and then you'll need four tablets. And for as long as your pain doesn't go away, that doesn't stop, which is where uh, interventionalists come in because uh, we can provide alternatives to just taking a pain medication and making your pain go away for four hours. Um, And that involves actually uh, going close to different parts of what we call the pain pathway from the uh, uh, cause of the pain all the way to your spinal cord, all the way to your brain, we can actually attack uh, the, the pain impulse from different parts through interventional techniques. And, and this is different than, you know, taking pain medicine. I mean, there's a role for pain medicine, but when you start taking a lot of it, Side effects become an issue. Exactly. And so you're talking about, hey, let's just not take a pill. Let's take a look at this whole pathway from the part of your body that hurts to the receptors that are in that area, to the spinal cord, to the brain, that exactly. whole pathway. Let's let's alter that in some way to reduce the pain response. Exactly. And Usually requiring an intervention. It can require an intervention. It can require other types of medication that don't necessarily have to bind to the opioid 
receptors, which is what when people talk with pain medication, that's what they're usually that's talking, what we're talking about. about. Sure, yeah. and there are some of those medicines out there. I've seen, you know, lots of people who have done better with medications if they have a nerve pain that treats the nerve pain. And you see people who, you know, there's commercials on TV for Lyrica, for Cymbalta, exactly. things that are non-narcotic pain techniques and pain pills that work in a different way, that attack the problem from a different angle. All right. Well, we've got a caller on the line. We have Randy from Kula. Randy, welcome to The Body Show. Aloha. How are you doing? Aloha. Kula, one of my favorite areas over there on Maui. What can we do for you today? Well, um, I've had some chronic back pain for many years. Um, And, you know, years ago when, when I had an incident, one of my friends who had chronic pain he actually gave me some medication, and it worked. And I went to my doctor and kind of told him, I said, hey, you know, I, this stuff works for me. Can I get some? He's a pain management doctor and kind of prescribed it to me. Um, didn't really get into a whole lot of the treatment other than kind of just taking the pills. So, um, you know, I've had addiction in the family for many years, so I, I'm very weary about taking narcotic medication. But... um. When when my my back acts up, it it, it it really helps, and I can take it and get on with my day and do things. I'm just um kind of worried about the long term effects of of taking narcotic medication, and um I just looking for a little advice. It's a good question, uh, Randy, and certainly you're you're astute enough to know. Hey, I don't want to get stuck on this. I'm curious, what medicine are you talking about? What are you taking? I I take a muscle relaxer, Soma. Carisprodol, I think that's what it's called. Yep, and then got they, it. Um, and then um, uh, a Vicodin with the ibuprofen, so it's a Vicoprofen. Yeah, it's an interesting but, um, combination, yeah. yeah Vicoprofen, yeah. Those and, and I'm pretty much good to go. How long are you good to go for? Uh, sometimes it's all day, um, you know, depending on the severity of how, how it's aching that day. Um, I don't know, the most I've ever taken in one day is maybe... But do you take something every single day? What's that? Do you take something every single day? Oh, no. No, this is, um, you know, sometimes it's once a week, maybe sometimes a couple times a week. Sometimes I don't take it for a couple weeks at a time. Dr. Damien? Hey, um, thanks for calling in. So, uh, you know, one of the things that I think is, is is reassuring is that, you know, you are taking it intermittently. Um, I'll tell you now that Soma and, and hydrocodone both have um, addictive properties. I, I know you have the family history of it. Um, I'm not at least talking with you, uh, hearing you speak. I don't think that that's so much an issue just because you are taking it uh, intermittently. Um, the problem becomes is when you start taking it when you don't have pain. Um, that's when you have to look at, at the addiction being a problem. Um, you know, the fact that you have it localized to your back, you know, there are a lot of uh, um, pain generators in the area uh, that that we could target um, and possibly give you options other than taking the medication and may possibly give you uh, long-term pain relief. I mean, the chances are if you've had this pain, like I said earlier, more than three months, you're probably going to have a certain degree of it to, for the rest of your, your life, unfortunately. Um, what we are able to do is provide you with, with options that may give you long-term relief without having to use the medication. And actually... Yeah, I try really, my best to exercise and, and eat well and, and um, you know, preventative maintenance, lifting the right way and, and you know, try not to 
or to do any more damage. But, you know, sometimes you take the wrong step or whatever, and it kind of, um, it'll trigger something in that lower back area. Right. I mean, one of the things that would be, that, that I think would be beneficial for you um, by seeing um, a pain specialist, someone that's really versed in the neurologic and musculoskeletal examination is that, you know, they can help with the diagnostic, you know, provide some diagnostic clarification of what you, what's causing your pain. Um, and then possibly give you a, a treatment option for that. Yeah, it's, it's hard. I've seen, I've seen got a couple of different doctors, and, you know, when it comes to the lower back, it, they're all kind of shooting darts at a board, kind of guessing. But, um, yeah, I haven't really been able to get a good diagnosis of, of exactly what's causing it or where it's at. It's, um, um, I don't know, some doctors, I guess, just without, without doing extensional testing, um, it's hard to determine. Well, Randy, you're absolutely right. So I think step one for you is probably to get a really good diagnosis, if possible. Find out what the source of it is, because that's really going to help you in order to make sure that you identify what activities are going to strengthen your back and will help you to no longer have to worry about that one little step that you take versus what activities could make you worse. You know, and certainly Dr. Damien and Dr. Gerald here do some of the interventional treatments. So it takes you from, okay, I have to take this medication to, okay, what are some of these other options? Can I do shots to the back of steroids if I have a certain type of problem? Can I do pain stimulators or pain um, pain treatments directly to the spine? And we're going to talk some more about what specifically we mean in that direction as uh, as we go further in the show. So I do want to make sure that you keep listening. But I think step oh. one is you got to get a diagnosis, Randy. You got to know what it is exactly going on because once you do, you're going to be ahead of the game. You're going to have a better way to figure out what to do next. Dr. Damien? Yeah. So, uh, Randy, what I would recommend is that you talk with your primary care doctor about seeing um, possibly a physiatrist on Maui, um, a neurologist, an orthopedic surgeon, any of those would, would um, probably provide you a pretty good explanation of what's going on without even ordering imaging studies. I mean, they may also do that as well. Um, but um, I think, that, you know, that would definitely be the first step is find out exactly what's causing your back pain. Yeah, I appreciate the, the, the advice. And um, to all the listeners out there, um, one of the biggest things I did to improve my state of health was, um, believe it or not, was buying a new mattress. Um, that in itself has has really decreased my pain pill taking from weekly, daily to to very sporadically. It was the, it was the mattress I was sleeping on was was causing even more pain to my back. I mean, every morning waking up in pain. So um, buying a good mattress was a great step, and uh, anyone with back pain should actually look at the mattress they're sleeping on. Good, good advice, Randy. You're preaching to the choir. I am always telling people that, you know, there are two things you don't skimp on. One of them is a good mattress, and the other one is comfortable shoes, because you can't get yourself a new back, and if you walk funny, you're going to affect all of your orthopedic alignment, and bad things are going to happen. So you're right. If you have a problem, make sure that you're sleeping on a good mattress that's helpful for your body, and not one that, you know, might be 20 years old or something that might not be as supportive as you might need. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. Joining me here in the studio, Dr. Gerald Garcia, Dr. Damian Tavares. When we come back, we're going to hear from our third guest that we have here, Damian Hessler, and we're going to talk a little bit about spinal cord stimulators. What are these devices? They're here in the studio. I can look at them kind of like a pager or an iPhone. And how can they help people and who might get the best benefit from it?
You can join our conversation here on Oahu 941-3689, from our friendly neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. And we will be right back after this quick break, and we're going to talk some more about chronic pain and what can we do to make sure people can leave healthy, hopefully less painful lives to make sure that they can function into the future. We'll be right back. Stay with us. I really like Hawaii Public Radio. I listen to both stations because I feel enriched every time I listen, and I feel like it's never a waste of time. There's always something useful. Uh, Sometimes I'll find that when the reception is going out, when I'm on the North Shore, I'll turn on the side of the road and stop driving and just listen because the program is so useful. Member-supported. Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. Even those on a tight budget can enjoy the fine arts in their European travels. Every night in London, almost like Vienna back in 1800, there's a fabulous concert to be heard. And a lot of the times it's really affordable. On this week's Travel with Rick Steves, we'll enjoy the classical music capitals of Europe, discover the best parts of Portugal, and see how a good meal can be an entry point into another culture. It's a feast for the senses on the next Travel with Rick Steves. Tuesday at 4 p.m. following Fresh Air. Aloha. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathy Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Gerald Garcia and Dr. Damian Tavares. We're talking about chronic pain management. If you've had pain for more than three months and it's affecting your daily activities every day and you're having to take medicine for it, you might have moderate chronic pain. There might be some things that you can do for it. Have you had this? Have you found something that works? We just heard from Randy from Kula, and he said, get a good mattress. That's step one to make sure that your back feels better. You can join our conversation at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Before we talk about the spinal cord stimulator, we've got Rick on the line from Mililani. Rick, welcome to The Body Show. Oh, hello, Dr. Kozak. Hello. What can we do for you? Uh, go left. Uh, Doc, my question is, uh, I've been suffering from uh, chronic shoulder pain for about a year and a half, uh, and even though I've been to physical therapy uh, and have been doing exercises, uh, the pain keeps reoccurring at night when I lay down to go to bed. Now, the, the issue for me is I have been on a regime of ibuprofen, uh, which seems to work. However, uh, on the Dr. Oz show this week, uh, he cautioned against uh, too much use of ibuprofen for any length of time and or exceeding 800 milligrams a day. Uh, and it, it kind of scared me with this ibuprofen. So my question is, uh, is there another over-the-counter uh, medicine that is both a inflammatory and a painkiller that can be used instead of ibuprofen to, to work with this pain? Really good question there. And, you know, there is some good information that people can get from the media, from Dr. Oz, etc. One of the things we worry about with Motrin is that taking too much of it can cause bleeding in the stomach, can cause some problems with uh, certainly the kidneys. And so sometimes you look at some of the other alternatives out there, and I've had some folks who have combined medicines like ibuprofen, lowered their dose of ibuprofen, added something like Tylenol, see if that could also help give you a little bit extra benefit. But it's kind of curious. Now, uh, Dr. Gerald, here we are. Poor Rick's got shoulder pain. It's driving him nuts, not during the day. Presumably he sees his doctors during the day and he's fine. Then nighttime and it's like revenge of the shoulder pain and it's driving him nuts. What would somebody like this need to do about it? Thank you for calling, Rick. Um, 
you know, there's other alternatives other than uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories that you take uh, by mouth. You can also take topical analgesics. Believe it or not, there are uh, patches and even creams that work like Motrin that you apply on your shoulder. You can apply it at night. Some you apply for 12 hours. And there are even some for nerve pain uh, that you can apply onto areas of pain. And that minimizes the systemic side effects of uh, a lot of the uh, uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories that you would be taking, say, by mouth. So we're talking about don't swallow the Motrin, but a Motrin patch or some type of patch that might help get the medicine in. From the same family, not necessarily Motrin. it doesn't have to be through the stomach. Now, these aren't over-the-counter. These are prescriptions. These are not, yes. They're not over-the-counter. There are over-the-counter patches, uh, but they're they're not going to be... they don't have non-steroidal, yeah, right? They're not having uh, the medicine. They might have heat. They might have, right, You know, icy right. hot Capsaicin menthol. Cream, okay, which is another. It's actually something for chronic pain. Um, you can get over the counter. So capsaicin cream. Rick yes. could go out tonight. Go to his favorite local pharmacy, Mililani, and, and go pres- get capsaicin cream. Yes. Or there might be some prescription alternatives. Exactly, which you can get from your primary care provider, and um, it shouldn't be an easy, or it should be an easy. Uh, prescription to fill. Okay. All right. Somehow I think I'm going to get a phone call in my office tomorrow, my buddy from Mililani, <laughs> and somebody's going to ask me for some of the patches that will help them with their revenge of the shoulder pain at night. All right. Good to know. It's a great thing that, you know, Rick, you do want to limit your daily intake of pills. Again, kidney effects, liver effects, different effects from medicine. We might be able to put something on topically and help you out with that. So great question, and I'm glad you asked. All right, let's talk about my gadget that I'm looking at over here, the spinal cord stimulator. We sort of talked a little bit about back pain. Dr. Gerald, you talked about interrupting those pathways for pain. We also have Damian Hessler here in the studio, and he's actually the guy in the operating room working with these devices, trying to help to make sure that they're they're doing the right thing that they should. They're providing the stimulation necessary Explain it to me. I'm an internist. I'm not a spinal cord stimulator expert. Dr. Damien or Damien Hessler, what is a spinal cord stimulator and why would someone want one? You got two Damien's, either one of you guys. I can't get your name wrong. What so do you think? So spinal cord stimulation mm. is FDA approved for adults with chronic low back um, leg pain, patients that have tried modalities that haven't been successful. And spinal cord stimulation is a therapy that's been around for 40 years. Uh, so it's a proven therapy, and it works well for patients that other therapies haven't worked for in the past. Um, so Dr. Tavares and Dr. Garcia have been doing spinal cord stimulation for a number of years, and it works well for those patients that other things haven't worked for that um, have caused them pain, uh, such as low back surgery. The surgery went well. Structurally, everything is fine, but the patients are still having a neuropathic component they're still having some additional pain, that's when spinal cord stimulation may be an option for those patients to help with that pain as well. So this isn't a pump of pain medicine. This is something different. This is a stimulator that is helping with those nerve pathways. Correct. So essentially what happens is it's uh, an IPG or implantable pulse generator would be implanted into the, the patient and they would receive electrical signals that would um, 
change the perception of what the patient feels. So instead of feeling pain, it should be a feeling like a massage tingling sensation almost. So almost overriding the, the pain sensations that the patients are having. Now, take in mind, this is a therapy. It's not a cure. So this isn't going to take away a patient's 100% of the patient's pain away. What we're looking for is at least a 50% pain reduction. So if, we're, if a patient comes in on a scale of 1 to 10 and they're at an 8, we're looking to realistically get them down to a 4. If we get additional pain relief, it's kind of icing on the cake. So these would be people who have pretty much tried everything else, and they, they don't get relief. So here they are. The docs, you make a decision, maybe a spinal cord stimulator will work. Is it something that you implant, and if it doesn't work, you take out? Um, Dr. Damien? <clears throat> Well, what we uh, what we do first is we do a trial. So we actually uh, place the leads in the epidural space, which is just a, sp- a potential space above the spinal cord, and um, the patient goes home with the unit for about a week. Um, so you try it out. We try it out you... first before we actually implant it. Okay. And if somebody sees that 50% reduction in pain, then they might be a good candidate. And in being a good candidate, they go ahead and they get this implanted. Absolutely. And you how know, long you... does it last? Uh, so the leads stay in permanently. The leads, you don't Like take a pacemaker. Them. You like never pacemaker. take pacemaker leads it's, out. Exactly. You There's a battery. It. Okay. So you have to get it out and the, get a new battery. The batteries um, now are primarily rechargeable. So um, you can, they depending on how much power the patient's using, how frequently they're using it, um, they typically last anywhere from 7 to 12 years, is from what I understand, at which time the patient would go in for a much more s- simple procedure where they'll just have it removed. It takes like half an hour and put in a new uh, generator. So it could be for that, for someone for whom it works, it could really be the step that allows them to reduce their pain enough to function every day. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, do you, I mean, do you have people that you've used this for who... You know, I mean, the next thing you know, you tell this story and this person, like, you see them after they've had the stimulator and, wow, they're doing fantastic. Yes. I mean, this is one of our favorite procedures. I mean, we we have a lot of procedures in, um, that we can do, but spinal cord stimulation is really a great procedure because patients do well. Those who have a successful trial usually do very well with this, and they don't, they're not as dependent on the physician or the provider after this. It really can provide them a lot of independence. And do they indicate when they need it stimulated? I mean, is there some way, or is it stimulated all the time? They uh, have a control. There's a control so that they they actually choose, okay, I need some stimulation now because I'm getting that back pain again. They they get to choose a degree of stimulation. I want a lot of intense stimulation now because I'm going to be active today. I'm playing golf. So they increase their stimulation. When they go to sleep, okay, I want to lessen my uh, stimulation or I can even turn it off. So they have that uh, option. So there's a lot of flexibility and it's very much – patient control. The person who has the stimulator really gets to choose a lot of the stimulation that's provided, when, how often, how significant. Exactly. It really puts them in control of their pain. Exactly. And uh, uh, in addition to what Dr. Tavares has uh, said, these stimulators, I've seen them where patients are able to actually come off or significantly diminish uh, their medication uh, requirement, their pain medications. It helps uh, by minimizing pain, they they don't uh, need as much narcotic pain medications anymore. Improves their functionality. I've had a patient that, you know, can now play golf, whereas in the past he wasn't able to. 
And if you're on less medication, less side effects, and then you don't have to worry, you hear Dr. Oz talk about Motrin and how bad it is, and you're not on it, so you're not so worried anymore. Okay. Absolutely. So this is one of those possible treatments. Now, how long have we had these spinal cord stimulators? I mean, is this a new device? Is this something that we've had for a long time? Have they made it better over the last few years? I mean, I'm looking at one. It looks like a cell phone and a tiny little pager, and it looks pretty impressive. How long have we had this technique? So spinal cord stimulation has been around since the the 60s, actually. Uh, The technology has really advanced in in the last decade or so. So we're getting a lot better at this. Absolutely. Just like anything has progressed, so is spinal cord stimulation. It's come a long way. And, um, you know, now there's companies out there that provide advanced control, flexibility for the patients, and additional coverage that wasn't possible uh, previously. So if somebody says, okay, but I know my my dad had one of those in the 70s and it didn't work well. Hey, listen, just like everything else is advanced, computers advanced, so did the stimulator. So it still might be an option. Absolutely. And the trial enables you to see if it'll work for you. And if it will, then you go forward and implant it. Absolutely. Exactly. So it's not a, you're not com- committed to it. You get it tested out first. After the trial, we pull out the leads. There's really... If it no, doesn't work, there's no problem. No scars or okay. no incisions, no nothing. You just okay. walk out of the doctor's office and and you don't have to and worry. You don't have to have it. All right. Well, that's some really good information. We've got a bunch of callers in the line. We've got Joe calling in from Makakilo. Joe, welcome to the Body Show. Hi. Thank you, doctors, for taking my call. Thanks for calling uh, us. For the pain of being 71 years old, I do myofacial relief. And for the pain of a torn rotator cuff, I do exercises. But I'm calling with a question about the drugs that I take for osteoarthritis in my neck. I'm currently on 200 mgs of Celebrex each morning and 50 mgs of Lyrica uh, morning and evening. And I would like to transition to naproxen if you think that that would be something that would be worth trying and uh, you think might be good advice. I'm curious, Joe, are you happy on your Celebrex and Lyrica? Uh, well, I ha- well, let me put it this way. I have a blue card, too. Okay. And the reason you want to try naproxen is? I would just like to kind of, well, I know that the Lyrica is um, for nerve pain that isn't quite what I have. I mean, these were prescribed kind of off-label from my doctor, and I'm just wondering if it would be possible to switch to something that is tolerated fairly well by a wide variety of people. It's a good question. Dr. Dr. Gerald, what do you think? I mean, here's we've got Joe. He's on Celebrex, which is kind of similar to naproxen, He's on Lyrica, which we talked about some of those alternative medications for pain that aren't necessarily narcotic, but he's still not all that happy. At least he's not getting as much relief as he would hope. In your experience, have you seen the Proxen fill a niche here? I think it would have to be, in my opinion, one or the other. Like you, you, said, you wouldn't do Celebrex and the Proxen right. together, right? Because that's, yeah, that... that um, 
Joe, you know, Celebrex is designed to be a medicine that doesn't cause as much risk for your stomach. People who take chronic naproxen or, or Motrin we talked a little bit about earlier have a risk of stomach hemorrhages and stomach concerns that are one of the reasons why we try and be very careful with those medications. Now, Celebrex is designed not to do that. And naproxen is not. It's kind of notorious for causing stomach problems. I think the rate of a gastrointestinal ulcer per year on daily use of naproxen is somewhere between 10 and 12%. So you lose that benefit when you switch to the naproxen from your Celebrex. But again, now Lyrica is another interesting question. Dr. Gerald, Lyrica, totally different family, usually given for nerve pain or chronic pain. Naproxen, would that be helpful in response to, to somebody who's on Lyrica? Yes. So Lyrica is, is something like Dr. Kozak had said for nerve pain. Usually chronic pain, once pain becomes chronic, there's got to be a nerve component to it. It becomes neuropathic by its very nature, its very definition. Um, so I think that's the purpose of Lyrica. The question you have to ask yourself, uh, Joe, is, is Lyrica helping? If so, then I think it's a good uh, medication to stay on. If not, i.e., if you miss a dose and, and you don't notice your pain getting any worse, then that's maybe something you can uh, talk to your uh, doctor about weaning off. There are other alternatives to Lyrica if you're not able to tolerate it very well. It's specific to a uh, nerve pain, such as uh, gabapentin, uh, uh, Topamax, and even uh, some antidepressants, such as uh, amitriptyline and um, Cymbalta. I seem to have a cast iron stomach because I should have added, I also take a full strength aspirin every evening and have no ill effects of that. Well, it's an interesting point, Joe, because there have been some studies that have looked at people who take aspirin and take Celebrex. Maybe they don't get the extra benefit for stomach protection from the Celebrex because they're taking the aspirin, even if it's not at the same time. But good to know you have a cast iron stomach. And it sounds like what we need to do is, you know, at this point, talk with your doc, see if your medications are actually helping you. You can always do a trial off of Lyrica, see if there's been a benefit. And or if you didn't notice any difference, you can always do a trial off of Celebrex, do the same thing. Hey, did this make a difference? Do I function any differently? You can always do a trial of naproxen. Um, you just got to be careful. There are some side effects with some of these medicines. And work with your doc because there's some great ways that you can do this that can help you, but also it can be something where it's directed by your doc and they can give you some advice on what's the safest way to discontinue or wean off of some of those medications. So we do wish you luck, Joe, and, and hope that this works out for you. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. I'm here in the studio with some chronic pain management interventional pain experts. I've got Dr. Gerald Garcia and I've got uh, Dr. Damian Tavares, and we are talking about some interventional ways to address chronic pain. When we come back, we've got some more callers on the line, and we're going to talk about some of the options out there to help people who deal with chronic pain on a regular basis and find alternatives for them to help them to feel better and hopefully function better. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. At the beginning of every month, HPR sends out an email newsletter called the eScape with timely information about upcoming events and links to all kinds of detailed sites. If you'd like to receive it, just go to the HPR website at hawaiipublicradio.org and click on About HPR. In the right column, you'll see the sign-up link. We'd love to add you to the mailing list, and it's just a click away. 
you are slumming, visiting your own 6 a.m. Lower East Side of the Soul on a lark, stepping nimbly between the piles of garbage to the marimba rhythms in your head. Bright Lights, Big City. This week on Selected Shorts from PRI, Public Radio International. Tuesday at 5 p.m., following Travel with Rick Steves. Aloha. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Damian Tavares and Dr. Gerald Garcia from Hawaii Institute of Pain. We are talking about interventional pain management and what you can do to try and make sure that your pain is as treated as best as possible and what are some of the newer options out there so you don't have to live in chronic pain. If you want to join our conversation, you can do so at 941 941- 3689, toll free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We've got some very patient callers in the line. We've got Angie from Mililani. Angie, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you so much for listening to me. I have neuropathy pain from head to toe, and I've had it for 10 years, and I'm presently on painkillers, but the same dosage, and it helps less and less and less. And I have tried Lyrica, and for some reason it didn't do anything to me. It just messed up my head. And I've tried Cymbalta also. It's the same effect. But I'm always in pain, and I feel like I'm wrapped in ice. And at the same time, I sweat profusely. Oh, Angie, I'm sorry to hear that. So it sounds like you've tried some of these medications that have come out to specifically treat nerves, and yet you haven't received the benefit that you had hoped, and you're taking pain medicine. And as we talked about earlier, sometimes you need an ever-increasing dose to get the same amount of relief. So it sounds like you're experiencing that yourself. Yeah. What kind of pain medicine are you taking? I'm taking 5 milligrams Opana every 8 hours. And I'm taking five milligrams of oxycodone in between when the pain starts flaring up. And if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? Seventy-three. Seventy-three. So here you are, reaching your golden years, and they don't feel so golden for you. No, and you're on I some pain medication. Boy, I'm so sorry to hear that you're suffering so much, and and boy, I hope that that. Something that can be done to help you. Now, I'm curious, Dr. Gerald, Dr. Damien, here's somebody who has a neuropathy. So we know it's nerve pain from what she's telling us and nothing really has worked. And we're on these medications that she's talking about, the narcotics. We know that you need an ever-increasing dose. What could someone like Angie do? Go ahead, Dr. Tavares. Thank you, Dr. Garcia. All right. We've so, got we've got two folks who want to help you. Yes. Time, two yeah. folks, Angie. So let's hear from Dr. Damien first, Dr. Uh, Dr. Gerald next. Damien, you're on. So, uh, Angie, um, I just want to uh, clarify. So um, you've been diagnosed. Keep going. All right, Dr. Damien. She's been diagnosed with neuropathy. Yes. Um, how did you initially present? With neuropathy, you mentioned you've had this for about ten years. Okay, yeah. In the beginning, they thought I had fibromyalgia. Okay. But since it spread all over my body, including my eyeballs, uh, they decided since I'm diabetic, but I have it very much under control for a long time. 
uh, they decided it was neuropathy. And how long have you um, been on the medication that you're on now, the Opana and the Oxycodone? How long? Yes. How long have you been on opioids? Uh, Ten years, but Ten in years. the beginning it was a little less. Sure. But I've been on this present doses for about seven years. Okay. So, you know, typically if, when someone develops like a diabetic neuropathy or a neuropathy, it usually starts in the toes and gradually works its way up. And by the time the patient gets it in their knees, they start to fill it in their arms and it starts to spread up. Um, someone who has diabetes that's controlled, um, doesn't sound like you initially presented like that. I would be more um, concerned for possibly fibromyalgia. Um, usually someone with fibromyalgia, though, um, uh doesn't usually has pain that tends to be a little bit more patchy. Um, it doesn't tend to be as severe as yours or your whole body and it involves your eyes. Um, I would really, uh, uh, I, I think uh, evaluating you um, uh, would probably be the best, the best uh, thing because um, honestly, I, I think there might be an issue with the diagnosis. If it was more of a nerve problem or fibromyalgia, medications like Lyrica and Cymbalta should, in theory, I mean, they should work because they target nerves. Um, one thing that I would be concerned about that you've been on opioids for so long is something called opioid-induced hyperalgesia. And essentially what it is is um, the opioids can downregulate your, your own opioid receptors to a level that um, that it can actually cause uh, pain. Um, and so a lot of times patients, as they come off of the opioids, um, which seems counterintuitive, they think, well, I should be going up on it if, if my pain's worse. What they find is that by coming down, their, their pain actually improves. So, um, you know, you, I, I'm just saying, you know, you, you're not presenting as someone that has a neuropathy or fibromyalgia. Um, Opioid-induced hyperalgesia might be a possibility, but uh, I think uh, having you reevaluated and uh, possibly having you seen by a neurologist or a rheumatologist uh, might be a good idea, or s- someone who has never seen you before uh, reevaluate you. All right, Angie, so we have some thoughts for you, and it sounds like we wish you the best. Maybe being on those narcotics the whole time might be actually causing more troubles, but also talk with your doctor because... You know, there are some people for whom if everything else has been tried and investigated and failed, and the only way that you can deal with your current symptoms are to continue on your current course, it's it's possible that that may be the best thing for you. So, you know, we always hope that people don't need to take as much medication. We always hope that we can find a solution for them. And boy, in some cases, even even all the smartest doctors in the world can't can't get you to a point where you are the way that you want to be or you used to be. So we do wish you hope in getting another evaluation or getting rechecked, and hopefully this will identify some area that can be that can be addressed and help you in some way. All right, best of luck to you, Angie. We have got Edward on the line from Maui. Edward, thank you for being so patient. Welcome to the Body Show. Aloha, how are you all? Aloha, we're doing great. How are you doing? Oh, I'm pretty good for six. Hey, I got a call. That's sort of, I got a question that's sort of similar to a few callers ago about uh, uh, monoperipheral neuropathy of the right arm. Um, I've spent 40 years of my life with weed whips and pruners, and I've got you know overgrown knuckles in my right hand, and uh, on top of that, a bone spur in my uh, rotator cuff. But about five years ago, I pancaked my shoulder, skiing, and the Alps, and disassociated my brachial nerve complex. And for the last two months, I've got tingling, 
waking me up two or three times a night uh, with paralysis and numbing and peripheral edema of my hands where I can't even close my fist. As soon as I get up and walk it off, it goes away. It doesn't bother me during the day. I'm taking serapeptase. I'd like some input on that. Europeans think it's good. Americans don't. Um, I also uh, am interested in whether there's any mitigating surgery that might be of assistance. Good questions, Edward. Let's talk about the first part of your question, which is, hey, you've got this problem. You've got, again, revenge of the horrible shoulder pain at night. You're the other guy, like Rick, and, and you go to bed, and you're so normal, and then the next thing you know middle of the night, your arm freaks out and it's like swollen and painful and you've got all these weird sensations. Now, I'm not familiar with what you're using from Europe, the uh, seropeptase. And certainly, I guess my thought on it is, is it working for you? And I always ask people, if you're not quite sure if it's working, then try and stop it and withdraw it over a week or two and see if you notice any benefit. And if you do, then you know it's working. If you're not sure, you can always try it again. Um, but certainly it's one of those things that, you know, for some of the non-FDA-approved supplements and, and things like that, we have to be careful. We never know, is there enough evidence to say it's going to work or not? But, you know, we talked a little bit earlier. Dr. Gerald, you mentioned some of the options that include topical treatment, things that you don't have to ingest. And in somebody who has this this problem with their brachial complex and also with, with a bone spur, and it's really localized to the shoulder, might he benefit from something similar like a topical um, Ketorolac patch or something along the lines of some kind of a cream that might be able to get into that area and help him? Could he benefit from that too? Yes, there are creams uh, uh, out uh, in the market, well, they're, they're prescription strength uh, creams that have uh, uh, components of um, nerve nerve pain uh, medications such as gabapentin. Uh, there's some patches, lidoderm patches, which is also a nerve pain type patch that uh, will help. You can also uh, consider taking actually a nerve pain medication such as Lyrica or Cymbalta because it does sound like you do have uh, neuropathy uh, that may have been uh, started from injuring your brachial plexus, which is a really a, a bunch of nerves. Uh, uh, so those are options that you can explore. I, I Based on what you've said so far, Edward, I, I do not hear anything, uh, any medication that you've mentioned that, that addresses neuropathic or nerve pain, which is what you have. Would something ever like a steroid shot in the spine, would that ever help someone with neuropathic pain, or is that not necessarily helpful? It can. It actually does help for patients. So back injections in your spine, if you have pain going down your leg, which uh, points to a nerve root problem, nerve roots come out of the spinal cord. So you actually uh, put steroid there to minimize the inflammation. It's not the actual uh stenosis or narrowing of the spine that causes the pain. It's actually inflammation. And as you know, steroid is anti-inflammatory. So when we give patients spine injections, what we're actually doing is delivering steroid close to the root cause of the pain. One, to minimize the systemic side effects of steroid, and two, to just get the effect uh, as soon, you know, right away. And it might be more effective. I know I've had plenty of people who have seen me who have gone to some amazing uh, colleagues of mine and, and they've gotten a steroid shot and they've done so much better. So there are some options out there for you and hopefully you won't have that revengeful pain every night, Edward. It sounds horrible. 
All right. We have got another caller. We've got Diane from the Big Island. Diane, welcome to The Body Show. Hi. Thanks, y'all. Um, and I'm going to ask you to talk a little slower after I tell you my history, which is about I have had two severe falls, neck injury, and I did have a career that um, involved a lot of uh, lifting and stress. Uh, my second fall, I got put into the um, Hilo Hospital and... The surgeon wanted to do surgery, and I chose not to, and my right arm was um, in a sling for about six months. I treated it with massage and hydrotherapy uh, for about that time, and finally I did not need the sling. I brought back the para... para yeah, anyway. All right, Diane. Okay. So what's the question for us? Okay, well, a couple. The main question for me is I'm, I'm, I've done the opiate roots, I've done the steroid injections, uh, I'm totally with you on the opiates, and I'm addicted, and I notice they are causing pain. The main thing about my pain, which I haven't heard anyone yet, is it affects my ear. So as not knowing, I, I kind of call it it affects the cochlear nerve. But basically, the worst part of the pain, and mind you, the pain itself moves. One day it's on the left side, one day it's on the right side. When it occurs, I can't use lift that arm above elbow height. The worst thing is, not even that disabling, but my ear uh, is affected. And so the noise of anything, like people talking, friends talking, my own voice and my head talking, the sound of refrigerators or fans. It's so excruciating. So I just have to stay, you know, inside and I wear earmuffs. All right, Diane. So it sounds like what you're saying is that you've been down this route for You've been taking pills. You've seen the plus and minus of taking narcotics. You've had shots, and now you have this other experience that not only do you have intermittent arm problems, it also affects your ear, and you get this hypersensitivity to sound. It certainly sounds to me like you're having a lot of symptoms that kind of go along with your pain, and you'd be a great candidate to talk to your doc about what are some of the other things that you could check on to make sure that the problem really isn't in your ear itself, even though it's fluctuating, but also make sure that you're orthopedically okay. Make sure you don't have any problems with bone spurs or arthritis of the shoulder or the neck or something that could contribute to some of these intermittent sensations you're having. I'm seeing some head shaking here from my pain management guys. They're saying, you know, you've been down a, di a whole bunch of different routes to figure out what this is. Hopefully you and your doc can, can come to an identification of something to treat. If not, checking in to see a pain specialist in the Big Island might be your next step. So we do wish you absolutely the best, Diane, and I hope this starts to improve for you. But thank you for calling us today and sharing with us your experience, and I'd love to hear if you've gotten better. All right, we have got another caller on the line, Susan from Alamoana. Susan, we've just got a couple of minutes. What can we do for you today? Okay, thanks. Can you hear me? We can hear you. Okay, great. Uh, two years ago, I severed my plantar fascia doing lunges at the gym, and they couldn't reattach it, so they I did had plasma-rich platelet therapy, and it ultimately knitted itself back together. I had an MRI recently that showed, in fact, the doctor said he couldn't even tell that there had ever been any damage. So it must have been successful. However, I still have pain, and 
Um, I have sometimes phantom pain where it, it's quite excruciating. It's like I won't, I could even be just, you know, sitting with my legs, you know, up, and I'll feel something stabbing in that area. It's kind of a phantom thing. So someone told me there was some, something that could be implanted possibly that might take care of that. Great question, Susan. Dr. Damien, do you guys do any sort of pain implants for phantom pain from the foot, the plantar fascia being that bottom area of the foot? And is there anything you've heard of as far as techniques for this pain? Now, she says it's phantom pain, meaning the area recovered, but there's still some discomfort. Any ideas? Sure. So I think what you're referring to is the spinal cord stimulator, which we had um, talked about earlier. Uh, it, one of the indications is uh, phantom limb pain or neuropathic type of pain. Um, for you, you know, I'd be cons- I'd, I would um, consider that it could still be the plantar fascia itself. It may not be neuropathic. Um, you may still have some fraying within the the fascia and. Uh, sounds like you did at least um, have the reattachment with the platelet-rich plasma um, injection, and you may consider um, having a repeat one done. Um, for those of you that don't know uh, platelet-rich plasma, the, what it is is uh, we essentially take some blood from you, we spin it down in a centrifuge, and the centrifuge separates the white and um, and red cells. Uh, what you're left with is the plasma um, and the platelets. And we then take that and inject it back into um, an area that's not healing well. Um, so areas that typically don't have very good blood flow. Uh, so tendons, um, uh, cartilage, um, and in your case, fascia. And so um, it could be, you know, a lot of people need more than one injection of uh, um a platelet-rich plasma. I've heard as many as three to five. So um, I would possibly reconsider that as an option for you. All right. So, Susan, it sounds like, you know, just because anatomically it looks better on the MRI doesn't mean that it's going to physically be better. And if you try that injection again, you still don't get get any relief. Certainly something you could have evaluated. Do you actually have the problem coming from the nerves, in which case there might be something that you can do? All right. So, Dr. Damien, if people have concerns about chronic pain, Dr. Gerald, if they're wondering, how do they get in touch with you guys? If they say, hey, these guys are, are you, you're seeing a lot of people from Outer Islands. Do you have plans maybe to go to Outer Islands at some point? We're exploring that. Uh, certainly is in our, um, is in the horizon um, yeah, we had some callers today from Outer Islands. I mean, mm-hmm. I, we need to have you guys back. We had some people who called, and we didn't even have an option to get to them. We'd so it's to a hot that. topic. All right. <laughs> so, okay, well, I want to thank both of you for being on the show today. And also, Damian Hessler, you gave us some great information on the spinal cord stimulator. Thank you guys for joining us today on The Body Show. Dr. Gerald Garcia is an interventional pain specialist, double board certified in pain management and anesthesiology. Dr. Damian Tavares has been published in several journals for his expertise in understanding and treating chronic pain. Damian Hessler has become a guru on the use of spinal cord stimulators, and he's the guy in the OR that's helping out to make sure that the settings get corrected and you get the best result you can. You can reach them at HI Pain, Hawaii Institute of Pain. You can go online, www.hipain.com. You can call them at 206-5301. That's area code 808. I'm Dr. Kathy Kozak. Thank you again for listening. Our engineer, David Chong, executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. We'll see you next week, Monday at 5 on The Body Show. <music>